Good evening and welcome to ATV. I'm Saad Asfour, your host. My very special guest today is Dr. Ramzi Salti, who was born in Lebanon, French educated in Beirut. He completed his high school education in Jordan. And in 1980, he moved to United States where he earned his BA in French and English. Then he went on to earn his MA and PhD in Arabic, French, and English at the University of California. Dr. Salty has been full-time lecturer in Arabic at Stanford University. Welcome to the show, Dr. Salty. Thank you so much for hosting me, Saad. I am truly delighted to be here today and very excited to be speaking with you today on this amazing show. Thank you, thank you for coming. Uh, Dr. Salty, uh, obviously you are a very successful person and you know what it takes to be there. Can you tell me your motivation and uh, when you came to United States, you achieved all these high degrees in life and uh, what was your motivation and what uh, motivates you to continue what you're doing right now? Well, my, my motivation, like most um, uh, people from the Middle East who come to America, was obviously to get a degree. But in my case, uh, my family back home in Jordan had a company where they sell uh, steel. So it's like a steel company. Mm -hmm. And everybody uh, that's related to me, especially the, the men, were working for that company. So I think it was kind of uh, expected of me to go on to work for that company. So, you know, to come maybe to America and get a degree in uh, business or in something that would be helpful to the company. But ever since I was a kid, Saad, I always wanted to write. I always wanted to explore the world of music, of art, of culture. And that made me a little bit of a black sheep of the family. So when I came to America, I decided, you know, this is my chance to do what I really want to do uh, and follow my passion and sort of break with the uh, tradition uh, in my family. So it was a very risky move because, sorry, you know, needless to say, I didn't have much encouragement uh, from uh, my parents initially, but as time passed and I did my uh, double major in French and English at Santa Clara University, went on to the University of California at Riverside to get my PhD in comparative literature, um, everything sort of fell into place. And I, I'm a firm believer that if you uh, stick to your dreams and you don't let other people sort of dissuade you from what you want to do, that you can get there. And a nice uh, sort of uh, closing note here is that my father, who was in initially so afraid that a career in literature uh, would not lead anywhere, was probably the proudest individual when I got my job at Stanford and became a lecturer at Stanford. So uh, the motivation is passion, and I hope that that continues throughout my career there. That's good. That's great. We're very proud of what you're doing. Thank you very much. And what you're doing, actually, no one else is doing right now. I mean, knowing uh, in this area, I don't know too many people doing what you're doing. So what exactly are you doing teaching Arabic at Stanford University? What are you doing to preserve our traditional and cultural? Well, I'm, I'm part of a, a really good program at Stanford, the Arabic program there. So I'm surrounded by very creative people. My co-lecturers there are amazing. But I think the thing that I'm doing on the side addresses your question more specifically, and that is the radio show. Mm -hmm. The show Arabology, which uh, airs on KZSU 90.1 FM at, from Stanford. And, you know, we reach the entire San Francisco Bay Area. 
that show is probably a lifesaver for me. It enables me to let out the creative uh, juices that are flowing oh, in wow. terms of uh, exploring the music, the culture, uh, at a time where you know the, the Arab world seems to be so systematically demonized. Mm -hmm. I find that through the radio, which is, you know, which is not really a political show, but through the radio, I'm able to showcase cultural productions coming in from the Arab world to Arab Americans as well as to Americans in general. And in doing so, hopefully counteract some of the stereotypes that we encounter so often in the mainstream media. So what is it exactly your main goal to accomplish through the radio? I think it's to dispel those stereotypes, those very harmful mm -hmm. stereotypes of the Arabs, whether it's Arab women or Arabic music or Arab culture in general. I mean, I can't even say Arab culture as if it was one, but the many, many cultures that exist within the Middle East. So my show focuses more on music, poetry, literature, rather than it being a, a political show. Of course, there's a political discourse that takes place, but that to me is secondary. The idea is to make it a positive show that uh, spotlights the amazing amount of talent we're getting from the Arab world and who are really who rival any international talents of your choice, meaning whether it's music, alternative Arabic music, Arabic hip-hop, Arabic uh, post-colonial poetry, feminist uh, poetry, uh, you know, women writers, uh, marginalized sexualities, anything. Uh, it's all there and it's booming. Well, despite the uh, yes. the situation, it's booming, and people don't understand that with the turmoil we see and the negative images and the violence and the horrible stuff going on there, there is a booming scene that is uh, sort of overtaking the uh, the Middle East. It's a little bit underground, but it is there and it is growing. And mm -hmm. so the, the, the goal of my show, or one of the goals, is to showcase those talents, to bring their name, their music to America through the radio. And that will make your show very unique. I hope so. I mean, uh, I was initially wondering if I should even, you know, add another um, task to my uh, work at Stanford because, you know, teaching three classes a quarter, every quarter since the year 2000 has been uh, quite challenging. Very, uh, I, I love my job, but it's, uh, it, it's very time consuming. Mm -hmm. And so I was initially reluctant to try to go into the, the radio, but I was extremely happy to do so. And it's that step that has helped me perhaps further enhance my teaching skills because I'm now able to combine culture with language. Does it influence your job as a lecturer? It does. I mean, I, I attempt to, to wear two hats. I always joke with my students. I say I have the, you know, the lecturer uh, hat, and then I, uh, I have the DJ hat, you know. So, so I go from Dr. Salty at Stanford to DJ Ramsey at KZSU 90.1 FM. But frankly, they're not so different, meaning, I mean, I'm a firm believer that if you're going to teach language to uh, Americans, and we have amazing students at Stanford who are very eager to learn the Arabic language, you cannot successfully teach the language if you don't incorporate a cultural element and so especially music and uh, indeed indeed and exactly those kind of cultural productions whether it's music, they help people learn uh, a language much faster so I hear sometimes you know from some what I'm going to call purists 
uh, claiming that culture and language are different. And I, 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 I don't think so. I think that they are mutually enriching. And I think of my own languages that I learned other than my native Arabic language. Music helped me a lot. It helped me retain the vocab when you have a melody that's associated with it. And also if the topic is something that interests you personally. So I'm a firm believer in uh, the um, connections we can have between the, the uh, cultural productions, between the, our heritage, and between teaching language. So you're the first one who started this? this Arab uh, radio? Well, uh, yes. I mean, the, a very good uh, friend of mine and colleague, uh, whose name is uh, Dr. Joel Bainan, uh, had a show on KZSU, an amazing show called uh, Mediterraneans. But it was not so much focused on the Arab world as much as it was focused on the region in general, the Mediterranean region over there. And it was a wonderful show. In fact, I, I, he's, he's sort of my, my role model, because I saw what he was doing, and it encouraged me to perhaps do something similar but focus on my forte which is the Arab world and so um, that, that's what I ended up doing was uh, uh, sort of making a space for myself within the KZSU family and creating a show that I uh, eventually called Arabology after doing my training as a DJ and all that and so I, I'm very proud to say that at this point this is probably the only show on KZSU that specifically centers on Arabic music or you know the Arab world in, in general. So what's the basic qualification that you have to have to have a show like that? Yeah, so you know you have you have to have a PhD to teach at Stanford, <laughs> but then in order to do the radio, you have to really start at zero. There is no, I mean, my my job at Stanford did not qualify me to become a radio show host. So I had to go through training, and uh, KZSU has an amazing training program. So people who are interested in becoming DJs or radio hosts can follow the training program, and then there's an exam, and you have to uh, obtain FCC clearance, and you have to learn you know a lot of technical stuff you also have to learn what you can say and not say on the air and so I had to go through all that but I successfully passed the uh, the exam and uh, and then I went on to get my show and uh, now it's been a few years of doing this show and I'm enjoying it tremendously that's so amazing I'm, that's very congratulations you. on your success thank you thank so you. if you have a choice to pick a special guest who would you pick and why for the radio show well, I don't want to embarrass you, Saad, but you would be on that list. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Seriously, Saad, you are uh, a shining example of an Arab-American woman who is uh, attempting in her own way to do what I'm trying to do through my teaching at Stanford and through, what I'm, and through the radio, and that is to counteract those negative images we keep seeing. Just your presence, for example, as an educated, courageous woman who has survived many things in order to get here, just that makes you an ideal guest for me. Oh. This, is, this is the kind of guest I like to have on Arabology because people look at you and they hear about your journey, whether it's Suhada's food, whether it's uh, any other successful Arab American, and they get inspired. They feel that they can do it too if they're Arab American, or at the same time, they, if it was just you know an American with no relation to the Arab world, their vision of, for example, the Arab woman, in your case, would be dispelled, would be shattered, because you don't live up to those stereotypes. Doesn't mean nobody does, 
but you, but but you you are sort of uh, breaking ground on your own. Oh, but thank you for <laughs> choosing me. Thank you That's so much. True. That's true. Uh, so, uh, what do most Americans don't understand about the Middle East or the Arabic culture? Yeah, you're I mean, having a hard time uh, in explaining all this stuff to them, or you try to pound on it mostly. Yeah, I mean, I think that in essence, Americans want to learn about the Middle East. I think they want to question what is going on in the media. I think that they're not given that outlet so that all they see in mainstream media is uh, one side to things. And that's, of course, you know, the wars and the violence and the horrible, horrible right. hatred that's going on there, which exists. But, I th uh, but it exists not sort of in a vacuum. It exists, uh, but uh, in the same society that is also simultaneously producing amazing poet, poet, uh, poets, sorry, amazing writers, amazing musicians, uh, the, the, the amount of cultural productions coming out of the Arab world since the Arab Spring has been, has been awesome. It has been completely uh, impressive and it's not stopping. It shows no sign of stopping despite the circumstances. Speaking of the <coughs> Arab Spring, let's just start talking about it. So what are uh, some of the uh, complications that the Arab American people are going through right now after the Arab Spring and after the evolution? We know it started a few years back and it's still going on. It started in Tunisia and then it scattered all over the Middle East. And that has a lot of effect on the Arab people, whether they live here or they don't or they live there. So what kind of problem right now they're dealing with and uh, what are we missing? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, being uh, an, an Arab American and a very proud American, I'm in a unique position where I can maybe look at the events that have happened and are happening in the Middle East and in the Arab world specifically from a unique perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that I'm not alone when I say that at the beginning of the uprisings in Tunisia and this Arab Spring, I think we were all caught up in a euphoria of, uh, of uh, optimism. We were so excited about the future this was going to lead to democracy and uh, freedom and uh, you know um, to, to, to a better tomorrow and I think as things progressed now not necessarily in Tunisia but of course in other places mm -hmm. we started to become disillusioned I think we're currently in that state of disillusionment where we are feeling like um, we've been betrayed, that the Arab Spring has been hijacked, that it was never an Arab Spring, that it's turned into an Arab winter, perhaps. It's a very sort of sad state of affairs when we look at what we had hoped and where we are today. But at the same time, I will stress that the uh, journey to liberation, the journey to uh, emancipation, the journey to, uh, w w to of any struggle towards independence is not uh, a quick one. So when people say, look at what the state of the Arab Spring today, I say, well, maybe it's just a stage and we are still on the journey towards that. This is a very horrible stage we're in right now, but it doesn't mean that this is the end. Perhaps the Arab Spring is yet to bloom Right, right. Yeah, there, there's a lot. To actually, we need more than 30 minutes to discuss uh, the whole thing. But um, uh, you've been very busy and you teach a lot. And I'm sure, and I know that you published some books. And I didn't get a chance to read some of it, but I heard a lot about it and I checked it out. 
but I like to know more about the books and uh, I understand that it's included in uh, small stories and sure. can you tell us a little bit about your writing? Sure. So I think Saad you're referring to my uh, collection of short stories called right. The Native yeah. Informant okay. and other yes. stories. I, 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 I labeled it uh, Six Stories of Defiance from the Arab World. Mm -hmm. Now interestingly enough I wrote that book in English. I wrote those short stories in English way before the Arab Spring. In fact, way mm -hmm. before September 11th. I mean, this was something I wrote when I was still, uh, I had just obtained my PhD from uh, the University of uh, California. Ah. Uh, and so it was something that I started writing for me because I wanted Americans to understand the experience of being Arab American. And I was, as a student, always asked, you know, those stereotypical questions about, do you own a camel? Does your father own an oil well? You know, th <laughs> those kind of questions. But I don't think they were mean-spirited. I think sometimes people were just asking because they were curious and they really w were wondering about these, uh, you know, um, oriental fantasies that they would watch on, uh, on TV, for example, so that their image of the Arab world was really exoticized in that way. Mm -hmm. So when they asked that, instead of sort of getting mad or offended at it, I would attempt to sort of explain that know you know I my father you know has nothing to do with oil in fact Jordan and Lebanon are not oil rich countries they were where I grew up uh, things like that but so I decided perhaps if I wrote these stories in English as an Arab American at the time and published them I'd be able to answer some of those questions so each story has to do with a certain aspect of being uh, Arab in the West or in the native country and sort of uh, juxtaposing the West and the East in a way that attempts to bridge the gap. Having said that, it did not uh, idealize, you know, the Arab world in any way. I mean, I was also dealing with my own issues and identity issues, and I was trying through my stories to address uh, themes that range from women's rights to interreligious marriage to other issues that were very controversial at the time. Any other goals that you try to accomplish with your writing that you want people to grasp on? So I think when I started the radio especially, I noticed that the response I was receiving to my work, to the show, to the interviews I was recording and airing on KCSU, uh, Stanford, 90.1 FM, uh, was amazing. It was a lot more invigorating and reached a lot more people than that kind of academic writing that I was doing at the time that I'm still doing occasionally. So I think that when we talk about, you know, books or publications, that word publications, publications are not limited to uh, the written word anymore. Okay. In fact, the podcasts that I am very, very proud of that include, um, you know, music and poetry and translated poetry and short stories and interviews with amazing Arab Americans or just Arabs around the world. Um, those are publications, in fact. And at Stanford, I'm very proud to say that they have been honored at Stanford through the Humanity Center there that, that understands that maybe in a changing world the, world, the word media and the word publication needs to be expanded as well. That's amazing. So how did your environment and upbringing affected your writing? That's a great question because writing literally saved my life. It did. Yeah, we're talking back in the 
60s, the 70s when I was a kid in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And then the Lebanese war happened in 1975 and my family was devastated as most people were and we, we packed up and left Lebanon and we went to Jordan. Mm -hmm. When I got to Jordan, uh, it was a culture shock. I mean, we came yes, from totally. You know, yeah, yeah. Especially <laughs> in the seventies. I mean, Jordan is an amazing country, especially now. But at the time, it was kind of a culture shock to go from you know the Mediterranean, from Lebanon to a very desert climate to Jordan. And uh, here I, you know, I, I went to, to a Jordanian school, and I spoke French, and I had a Lebanese accent at the time, and and people would uh, would laugh you know at me a little bit, and so I. I really did not feel um, that I belonged for a long time in Jordan or in uh, Lebanon. But uh, that's tough and you did very well and you got your high school diploma without any problems. Thanks to Usually writing. Usually it affects. Yeah, so thanks to writing. So what would I do when I would have a bad day or I would feel lonely or out of place at school? Um, yeah. I would go home and I would write stories and thank Excellent. God I, I, I love my parents for being proud of me for writing these short stories. I mean I remember I would write these short stories and my parents would literally show them to guests who would visit us at home and say look at what my kid did and people would sit and, and read my writing so I had that gratification but at the same time I was writing out my pain I was writing out my um, frustrations get, and to get into your freedom to get yourself out there right because you couldn't achieve freedom any other way and you don't want to bottle it all in so I would write it out and, and I continue to do that uh, throughout uh, my life. And maybe these days I'm talking it out and recording it out, but, uh, but it's the same process. It's very cathartic. Yeah, so in your opinion, what is the deepest measure of freedom? Speaking of all this going I on think, in the Middle yeah. East. That's such an amazing question. And of course, if I had the answer, I would be implementing it right <laughs> now because who doesn't want freedom for everybody and who doesn't want peace? But I think we have to understand that freedom um, is something you have to fight for. And by fight, I don't mean necessarily by violence, but, but you have to struggle towards that. You have to look at other struggles for freedom and see how you can learn from them. And it also has to do with me, for me, with building bridges. Mm -hmm. Meaning you can't say, this is my culture and I'm a closed off and I wanna get freedom or copy the West blindly either. So it's, it's sort of a, a mixture between looking at the West and certain concepts of freedom and adopting them proudly, at the same time looking at our own culture and our own concept of freedom. And uh, the answer is probably somewhere in between. Yeah, well going through all these changes and you've seen many changes happen uh, in this, especially since you came to this country. So what do you wish you knew, you knew then what you know, you knew then what you know now. I mean, how, do, how what do you think, what would you do different hmm. now that you have all this experience? Yeah, I mean, I came to America in 1983. I was 17 years old and I had just graduated from Jordan, from uh, school in Jordan, the National Orthodox School there, mm -hmm. and uh, came to Santa Clara University here in the Bay Area. And boy, it was such an exciting time and I had a vision of America that I wanted to, uh, you know, sort of verify. And certainly it more than lived up to my vision. Now, America in the 80s was very different than America today. Right. And especially in terms of being Arab American. I mean, I, 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 I hate to say it, but 9-11 Changed everything. Changed everything yes. And so when I talk about the America that I came to in 1983, 
and the post 9-11 America. Uh, they're so different. And sadly for Arab Americans, the Arab American experience was suddenly tainted. I mean, we went from being part of the um, American uh, structure and social structure and being just sort of, you know, you're just, you're an American who happens to be from the Arab world. Suddenly you are like an Arab, you know, living mm -hmm. in America. And so uh, I would think that perhaps if, uh, if, if I did more highlighting of our culture early on even, rather than attempt to um, just ignore where I'm from in order to fit into America, perhaps if me and other people who like me who came to America in the 80s did more of an awareness or a consciousness raising, uh, then maybe it would have uh, helped in terms of what, were, what, were, what was to happen. Having said that, who would have guessed that exactly. this was going to happen? Would we know? You know, how I mean, would anyone have expected? Yeah, yeah. But it yeah. has changed a lot. It has, but also I have to say that since then, and especially at Stanford, I mean, post 9/11 was sort of a very weird time to teach Arabic at Stanford because you felt you wanted to help, you know, America, which I do did uh, by helping more people learn Arabic. But at the same time, I wanted to uh, help the Arab world reach peace and not have you know, this conflictual relationship with uh, the US. So um, I think it's changing now again, and I think it's changing positively because I see the students at Stanford, they're interested in learning about, the, about Arabic again, about the culture, and some are traveling there to study abroad despite some uh, difficult uh, circumstances. Certainly, they're not going to Syria or Iraq, but they are going to Jordan, they are going to Lebanon and to, uh, you know, um, other places, especially the Gulf, etc. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, final advice for the Arab American people, especially the immigrant and first generation. What would you tell them? I would say that we come from an area that is sadly shattered by differences. Are you, uh, what's your religion? What is your background? What is your nationality? I mean, you know, being Arab is not enough. You have to sort of define who you are and you have to exist in conflict with another sect. It breaks my heart when I hear somebody say, are you Sunni or are you Shia for mm -hmm. a Muslim? You know, it used to be, used to be, are you Muslim or are you Christian? That also hurt because, you know, they're, they're all, you know, re great religions or Jewish or whatever. But it's, uh, it's now become, you know, are you, Muslim, are you Sunni, are you Shia, and mm -hmm. within the Shia, and within the Sunni, what kind yeah. of, and so the way, when people come to America, they are coming now from this background, and what I would tell them is what I live by, which is that in America, you can let those prejudices go. You can be, it doesn't matter what your religion is, it doesn't matter who your family is, it doesn't matter what your background is, you can still make it here. That's so, true. so leave those um, stereotypes behind you. Come to America and make a name for yourself. I appreciate your advice and Thank I you. agree with you 100%. Thank you, doctor, for being with us today. It was great to have you. Thank you for coming. Shukran, Suad. Shukran, Thank you. Shukran, Thank you. Thank you for watching. See you next time.